from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. They say that true competitors love to compete no matter what the stakes. And the Gator men's basketball team is proving that with their impressive runs so far through the first two rounds of the NIT. After dominant showings at UNF and Ohio State, Mike White's squad is now one step away from playing at Madison Square Garden. With that in mind, today we'll talk to freshman Kavarius Hayes and FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry about the run and the quarterfinals against George Washington. Also, with SEC play underway on the diamond, Gator baseball play-by-play voice Jeff Cardozo catches up with head coach Kevin O'Sullivan. But first, while the Gators could have rolled over and called it a season when their name was drawn for the NIT, they've stepped up and done the opposite. Freshman Kavarius Hayes has been one of the beneficiaries of Florida's postseason run, and he describes the mindset of the team in the NIT. I think pretty much after we had lost in the second round of SEC, we pretty much knew that we were already headed towards the NIT. And Coach pretty much like asked us like if we wanted to play in the NIT or not, and everybody said they did. So it was like nobody really wanted to give up. Yeah, we kind of got shot down of our hopes, but we still, like competitive spirit, just wants to keep playing basketball as long as we can. The team has noticeably played better here in the NIT than toward the end of the season. Do you feel like maybe the pressure was taken off? What have you seen that's led to this team playing so well? I guess a part of um, the team playing so well, yeah, kind of be some of the pressure being taken off. It's not that we take these games like, any lighter, just like, like we know we've messed up, and so like now it's time to make up for all of that and just win it here. One thing that's been different here recently is no Johnny Boone out there because of his surgery. That's led to more opportunities, more minutes for you, and you really took advantage of that against Ohio State. How important is this opportunity for you personally to grow and take your game a little bit further? Well, the NIT is like a place for everybody to get a little bit better, you know, players individually, team as a whole, and just coaches that kind of figure out their team if they're missing anything. And I felt like for me it's my chance to be on the court and kind of just do what I do best, show parts of my game I'm capable of that I'm more comfortable with that work best for me and also to work on just anything I need to. What do you feel like you've learned the most from the start of your freshman year now to the end of it? Pretty much the start of my freshman year, I was always more nervous when I got in. I guess throughout time I've learned that there's no need to be nervous. One thing to be anxious and another to be nervous. And just nervousness just kind of, it speeds you up. It completely puts you off. And then if you focus on the mistakes you make in the game, it just spirals downward. And I've learned to just kind of brush some of those things off and know that everybody makes mistakes. It's what you're going to do on the next play is what really matters. This is a pretty young team, but certainly you've got some other guys you can look up to. Throughout this transition process for you, who have you taken the most from in terms of your teammates? I had to be like between two players, definitely Dorian Finney-Smith. I look up to him as a player, and he's also a great step-in leader for us on the team. And John Ngbunu is like my mentor and helped me develop my post-game. When you look at the biggest differences between the high school game and playing AAU and now playing college, what have been the biggest changes that you've had to adjust to? Definitely the game speed. The shot clock is definitely a new thing for me, and... 
it's also definitely more running. <laughs> yeah, up and down. But the biggest thing would probably be like the players. This is Division One basketball. Everybody is capable, and you just have to be ready and be aware because you never know what could happen. Growing up in Live Oak, you weren't too far away here from UF. So how tied into Gator basketball were you when you were growing up and how much that influence wanted to come here? I would say my strong desire to come here probably started when I was in eighth grade. And once I started watching the Gators every now and then, I see them play. And it also helped that my coach was a former alumni. Hanging out with him, growing close with him, because I was friends with his son. You know, he told me basically everything there was about the Gators. We'd, I used to go to his house sometimes to watch some of the games, whether it be football or basketball, and the Gator spirit just grew within me, and I just wanted to come here since, since ninth grade, pretty much. When you're on the court, you wear number 13. A lot of people think that's an unlucky number. Why was 13 the number that you chose? I chose number 13 to kind of imitate some of the Gator greats that's come through. I picked 13 in my transition from 10th grade to 11th grade, which was when I had actually committed to Florida, because like, that's when I decided that I wanted to come here and do great things, too. Which Gator greats do you most look up to and want to emulate in the future? first Gator grade I thought of was Joe Kim Noah, and then knowing that Chandler Parsons and Mike Miller, they were all great people here. And then as I got to come back and forth between official and unofficial visits, I grew to imitate Patrick Young probably the most. Actually getting here, a lot of guys would crack jokes and say, like, he's my older brother. <laughs> but yeah, I guess like I'm very much um, like him. And people say sometimes I play as hard as Joe Kim. So it's like I have the traits and what it takes. Now i got to put forth the work. Your mom is a captain in the Army. I'm curious what it was like growing up with a mom that was in the military. Um, it was actually very difficult. I don't remember much of her from my early years. I just remember when she finally came home when I was like seven years old. And it was just great because I remember missing her so much. And then she went to reserve. We actually moved around like three or four times between ages of nine and 13. And then we finally settled down here in Swanee. And I just didn't want to leave. It was hard adjusting because she was a single parent and she was in the military and she was always going back and forth and I wouldn't say it was all bad because we've definitely had like a lot of good times she's been there for me as much as anyone else ever possibly could she's done so much for me and I just love her to death having those experiences and as you said moving around and having to go through that how do you feel like that shaped you as a player and as a person one thing my mom told me was to never quit I would say it helped establish perseverance within myself just to keep going no matter what happens knowing the things that she's been through all that she's had to do in order to provide for both of us and all on her own it just helps know that I come from a line of very tough spirited people my mom is definitely a true example of perseverance and excellence I honor her for that I love her for that and I hope to imitate that before you got here you were known as Special K now they call you Spidey Take us through the, uh, the evolution of your nicknames and how you got all of these. Special K was actually given to me because nobody could remember my first name <laughs> or even pronounce it correctly. So like they just created the K and Special K. Spidey is like, I'm not exactly sure how that one started. Maybe it was like an inside joke. And then they kind of like started calling it all the time. So now it just kind of caught on. The most notable nickname I've had was probably like Too Tall. I got that one in Swanee because... I guess too tall. Jones was actually a football player. When I played football, 
Um, one of my coaches said I reminded him of Too Tall Jones, and the nickname's kind of stuck, and they just called me ever since. So many people are talking about March Madness right now and the tournament and their brackets. Have you been paying attention to a lot of that, or is it too hard since you guys weren't able to be a part of it? I've actually watched some of the games, and definitely the most notable thing you'll find right now are some of the crazy game-winner shots that's going on lately. Upset some of the teams who've stepped up really big and come out being the underdogs, actually being the victors in some of these games. And it's just, March Madness is going to be very interesting this year. When you watch all this and, and you see all the madness, how much does that motivate you to make sure that you're a part of it next year and then beyond that? It's strong motivation just to know that you're playing in front of all the people, fans, family, and it's just a great place to be because you know there's not any other environment like it. And it's just something that I wish to experience very much. And this off season where I got to put in work to make sure you get there. You're going to be going to Washington, D.C. for the first time ever to play GW. So I don't know how much time you're going to have to see the sights and whatnot. <laughs> but assuming you have a little bit of time, what would be the places you most want to see while you're there? If I had to pick one, I'd probably like go to the Lincoln Memorial. I hear it's like a pretty good place to see and just like... The landscape around is, like, so beautiful. Definitely one of the locations i see if I had time. So D.C. and then if all goes well, on to New York, another place you've never been. How much of a, a motivational carrot is it for this squad to get to New York and then have a chance to, to win a championship? I hear so much about New York. So it's, like, this great, wonderful place. They call it the Big Apple. We're going to be going, like, the Madison Square Garden, the Mecca. And, you know, you hear, like, all the superstars, coaches, everybody telling you about how great a place it is not only go to New York but also to play there would be a very great achievement for me just to go for one and also to play there in front of all those fans and everybody watching the stands it's a life experience that you can never imitate for a team that struggled for much of the year offensively the NIT has brought signs of growth across the board especially for players like Casey Hill and Kavarius Hayes as Chris Harry explains, it all goes back to buying into an opportunity. What Mike White said going into, let's if we can rewind a little bit, Adam, just go back to North Florida game. He had said that game was kind of like more than basketball. It was, a, it was a state of mind game. You know, you're not in the NCAA tournament. So what are you going to make of this, let's you know, call what it is, a second-tier opportunity, okay? Well, Florida has had a pretty good go at it. I mean, you go to North Florida and you have an incredible day like they had making 12 threes. Now you go to Ohio State. And I, I found it interesting because uh, just talking to Dan Dakich, and he said the NIT is about who wants to be there more. And I kind of think it's who wants their season to end less. You can almost look at it like that. And Ohio State didn't look like they were ready to play that game from the beginning. Florida scored the first nine points. And I tell you what, maybe it's the team that plays the best at the beginning that kind of gets into it a little bit more because Florida hit some early shots. Uh, Ohio State didn't. They had the curtains in the upper bowl, so they were only selling lower bowl tickets. So the crowd, maybe six, 7,000. And, you know, I don't know how much they wanted to be there, but it's kind of like a survival mode. This is your situation right now, and you got to give Florida credit because they played maybe their best game of the year against North Florida. And you're supposed to beat North Florida if you're the Florida Gators. And you go to Ohio State, and I'll give you a stat. How about 0-11 on the road against Big Ten teams in school history before that, including 0-4 at Ohio State? So you go into Columbus and you win that game. Neither team had all their bullets. You know, obviously Johnny Booney wasn't in. A die-up for Ohio State wasn't there. But they had, you know, role players who stepped up and played. And for this team in terms of some guys who are going to be prominent members of it next year, 
you know, more games doesn't hurt in any way. Uh, going on the road and winning doesn't hurt in any way. So uh, credit to Florida. They're in a really good situation because now they're going to GW to play, and there's a serious brass ring dangling on the outside of the merry-go-round. Three days in New York City. Play at Madison Square Garden. So that's how you sell this, but at the same time, that's how GW's coach is going to sell it. GW is a team that doesn't get a lot of chances to host a team like Florida in its own gym, so they have the brass ring they can go chase to. So, you know, which team is going to win this one more? Which team wants this Madison Square Garden trip more? We go back to Ohio State, and again, an unbelievable performance from Casey Hill. And I think a lot of people are looking at it saying, who is this guy, and where did he come from? How sustainable is this new version of Casey Hill that we've seen? Casey Hill's little postseason run has been really, really impressive. I think he's averaging about 16 points a game, over 50% from the floor. He's made almost 50% of his threes during that time. You can take it back even more. It was the Vanderbilt game, the Kentucky game, LSU game. Florida didn't win those games, but they switched some things offensively relative to some of the things they were doing. They're much less longer developing plays, uh, half-court kind of plays. They want to get into more free-flowing things, and that is in Casey Hill's wheelhouse. And when the floor is opened up, there really isn't anybody in the country that's faster than Casey Hill baseline to baseline. So he sees some area he's going to go, and where I see where he's made the biggest difference is he can always get to the rim, it seems like. He can knife through defenses, but now he's making layups. You know, in that Ohio State game, Ohio State, a, a critical juncture of the game, Adam, it's a, uh, just under, I think, four minutes left. They'd cut it to seven. The crowd is finally getting into it, and here's a half-court kind of set or some Chioza kicks the ball out to Casey Hill in the corner. He just confidently jacks a three swish. I mean, that's not the Casey Hill we're used to seeing. So he is expanding his game. Every opportunity for him to get on the court again and play more games and to maybe build his confidence up is only going to help this team as far as next season. Another guy who's taking advantage of this opportunity is Kavarius Hayes, and he stepped up with Johnny Bunu out, had a career-best performance. What did you see out of him at Ohio State? Yeah, and he's a perfect example of how a tournament like this can benefit a guy because if the Gators aren't in the NIT, he's not playing. Uh, okay, so John McBoonu has his season-ending surgery last Thursday, doesn't make the trip to Columbus. <laughs> Here's Kavarius Hayes, comes in career-high 14 points. He makes all five of his field goals. I mean, he gets dunked on by a five foot eight guy. What was really impressive to me, they asked him about that after the game. He goes, hey, I thought the guy was going to pass, but, you know, he got me. But you know what? Kavaris Hayes got them. He had a really, really good game. And uh, you can say the same thing for Kayvon Allen. You can say the same thing for, for Chris Chioza. Some guys that uh, just extra games in different kind of venues against opponents. Another scout, you know, you had to prepare for quick. Another quick turnaround kind of tournament thing. And Chris Chioza had the best quote after the game. He said, look, this isn't the tournament we want to be in. He goes, but as long as we're in it, we might as well try to win it. So uh, that's what the Gators are going to try to do, and that's what they should be trying to do. Monmouth was the one seed in this bracket. I think a lot of people are looking forward to playing them and seeing all of the bench antics and the stuff that they're known for. But then upsets. They happen in the NCAA tournament. They happen in the NIT as well. So instead, Florida goes to GW that last step before a possible trip to Madison Square Garden. So what kind of challenge do the Colonials present? Well, I think they, they got some size. They go 6'10", 6'9", 6'8", in the front court. Some of those guys can shoot threes. Um, if you just look at, uh, uh, at the blueprint of, or their RPI blueprint, they beat Virginia this year, Adam. They beat uh, Seton Hall. They, they won at VCU. Those are some really good victories. They beat Davidson now. They're in the Atlantic 10. Florida has a long history. They've played, I think, a bunch of games against Atlantic 10 opponents and won the last five. But you know, certainly going into a, another one of these Cracker Box gyms that's going to be packed. It's going to be exciting. I think 4,600 at seats. You know, different kind of environment for the Gators, whereas uh, GW will be comfortable and they'll certainly be confident after going to Monmouth and taking a game. I think a lot of people thought Monmouth was going to win that game. So here, here go the Gators. 
Raiders on the road again. They've answered the call each of the last two times. I think it's an exciting thing. And I think uh, Mike White pointed out, you know, they're going to Washington to see these players that have never been in the nation's capital, flying in over the Potomac River, flying into Reagan National Airport where I grew up. There is something about that. So there's an education element to making a road trip to a place they wouldn't normally go. So there'll be some distractions and such. But, again, I go back to what's on the other end. You go there, you win a big game, and it will be a big game to them if they can win this. You get to go to New York City next week, and some of these guys haven't been to Washington. I guarantee some of them haven't been to New York either. So that's something to get excited about. The Gator baseball squad has faced sky-high expectations since the first polls were released late last year, and they've backed up that confidence with their play through the first month of the season. But now the number one team in the nation faces new challenges as they begin conference play in one of the toughest leagues in the country. Jeff Cardozo sat down with head coach Kevin O'Sullivan to talk about the road through the SEC, which began with the home sweep of Missouri. I'll be honest with you, I was very, very impressed with how Missouri played all three games. Um, their players were on the top step the entire weekend for all 28 innings. Obviously, we went 10 innings on uh, Friday night, but um, they were into it. They were scrappy. They've got some guys in the lineup that were strong. Um, and obviously, McLean and Houck were as good as advertised. Uh, you know, we scored three in the first on, on Friday, and McLean just buckled down and made pitches for the next eight innings. And um, he slowed the ball down, had two different off-speed pitches at the breaking ball and changeup going, and kind of a veteran. Gave their team a chance to get back in the ball game, much, you know, a lot like Hudson Randall was for us on Friday nights. And um, it took a big hit by uh, Alonzo in the 10th to kind of get the win on Friday. And then you got to turn around and face arguably one of the top sophomores in the country in Tanner Houck. And really, really pleased with how we approached that game. We only struck out twice, pushed his pitch count, you know, above 100 through, you know, six-plus innings. And we had a really good approach. But, um, you know, we jump out to a 6-1 lead on, on uh, Sunday after four innings, and lo and behold, you know, Missouri stays in the ball game against a, a really, really good pitcher, obviously, in Alex Fajardo, and they put four runs on the sixth, and they stayed in it the whole weekend. So it just kind of goes to show you how, how difficult this league is, how competitive it is, how much parity there is in college baseball. And, um, you know, like I said, Missouri deserves a lot of credit. They battled the entire weekend. But on the flip side of that, I was really pleased with how our guys battled through that, you know, the adversity that we had, you know, throughout the weekend, and we stayed – focused and obviously we're going to get everybody's best shot and teams are going to be excited to play us and you know which is going to help us down the road so all in all it's a great weekend for us it's very hard to sweep anybody in college baseball let alone a conference opponent like Missouri so please where we're at obviously we've got a lot of things we've got to improve on but um, you know there's a lot of positives and you know just to kind of look at a few things I thought Shore was outstanding I thought his stuff was as good as it's been all year long obviously that's the best start AJ Puck has had and Fiedo the, the line doesn't kind of tell the whole story there I think I think 19 change-ups the most he's ever thrown in a game and it gives him another weapon versus left-handed hitters moving forward. And Pete Alonzo's been swinging the bat good. And, you know, Rivera, you know, his injury on Sunday taking out of the game was not a serious one. So we've dodged a bullet there, and he'll be able to go this weekend. And playing great defense, and there's a lot of things to, you know, to look at. The neat part is you guys are able to win in a lot of different ways. And you mentioned the, the Friday night game, the, the, the Sunday game. So you, you win in extra innings. You're able to hold on to a lead. And, you know, you maybe some found some things opening weekend, too. You bring Dane in out of the bullpen a big spot, maybe wasn't going to pitch but you needed them because they scored the, the four runs. And then what Sean was able to do, get the win on, on Friday night and then just come in both games. And he was a strike-throwing machine, had a couple pitches working. So that has to be pretty valuable now at the end of the games. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Jeff. There's two things that really, really stick out from the weekend and probably from last week is the emergence of Dane Dunning. He was outstanding against UNF. 
had a really good start against Florida State. Boy, he's so valuable. I mean, he, he came out of the pen on Sunday and, and just reared back in some tough situations and threw some really, really good fastballs. And um, to have him available out of the pen on a Saturday and Sunday and or start on a Tuesday is so valuable. And I'm really, really pleased with where he's at and his development. And he's really starting to come into his own. And then obviously Sean Anderson. I mean, Sean pitches on Tuesday against Florida State, is lights out, and then like you said, gets the win on Friday, gets a couple saves this weekend. I think he's 3-0 with three saves. He's got, I think, 20 strikeouts and 14 innings. I don't think he's walked a guy all year, knock on wood. But um, it's funny, you, you know, you go into the weekend and we're, you know, get Singer to finish the game on Friday and, and he battles and he throws the ball really well. And then you get through Sunday's game and you go, boy, you know, maybe we found our guy at the end of the ball game. And um, going into the weekend, I think, you know, you, you're thinking, Sean, you're thinking, singer and I still feel like both those guys can do it but I'll tell you what Sean has been really really good for us and you know he's kind of waited his turn he's kind of worked his way into this thing nothing's been given to him but between he and Dane I'm really pleased with where they're at I'm really pleased with their progress and it's a huge shot in the arm for both those guys to be able to pitch the way they've been pitching Another guy you have to be really pleased where he's at is Lippitt. You moved him up in the five hole now, so that, that's done some really good things. India's uh, gotten some some hits now lately, a bunch. And then you, you found the left fielder in Maldonado, and I know you really like him, what he's been able to do. So you, you guys are starting three freshmen just, just about every single day in the lineup. So that has to be pretty neat to, to see how those guys are developing. Yeah, that's been kind of a trend for us. Every year we've had two or three, four freshmen that have kind of made their mark, you know, starting with Nelly out there in left field. He just gives us a spark. He's played some really good defense. He's had some extra base hits for us, and he's played really well. And, you know, India has played outstanding defense and gives us, you know, some presence there at the bottom half of the lineup. And Lippitt, uh, he was hitting seventh or eighth for most of the year. The last week to ten days, we put him up in the five spot. Really just to break up some of those guys that can't run, help us stay out of some double plays and that type of thing. And he's been outstanding. So pleased with where those guys are at. I think they handled the first week in a conference play very well. Obviously, Lippitt had that great at bat on Saturday against Houck, and India just continues to do his thing. And Nelly, he had a big triple there on Sunday for us, hit the ball off the center field wall there, which is not easy to do, as you know. So all in all, the freshmen have been doing very well. And then obviously some of the returners. You mentioned Pete, what he's been able to do, and we talked about the beginning of the protection that he has to buy for J.J., and we continue to see teams. I think he's about 20 walks now, and he only had 28 last year. So he's going to be in spots all year long, and you know it seems like he's really seeing the ball really well. Yeah, he's made a couple of adjustments with his swing and kind of opened him up and tried to get some more leverage to the pull side. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a mentality. He's going to have to give us some quality, quality at-bats because if we want J.J. to have the season that we hope and need him to have, he's going to have to provide some protection for, for J.J. there. And he's done that. And he needs to be a threat in the middle of the lineup. He's been very, very good for us. And, you know, I keep going back the same thing, but defensively he's much improved. I mean, he made a heck of a play to start the game on Sunday to his glove side. But uh, no, he's he, he's been good, and he's been you know providing some really quality at bats and some power that we need there in the middle of the lineup. When you look at now moving forward, and you look at now some of the upsets we've already seen, and, and Vandy going down a couple of times, and, and LSU and different things like that, I think it just shows you how difficult the, the, this league really is. And you know that's why the, the gray hair is now coming to, for you nine nine years into this thing. It, it's it's a grind every single day. It is, and um, 
you know, the thing about the gray hair is you're either going to go bald or go gray. So <laughs> I'm going to choose going gray. But uh, you're right. Kentucky's very, very talented. Um, and they've given us fits, to be honest with you, over the last few years. And I think in this league, you can't get too far ahead of yourself. You can't get too up. You can't get too down. You know, no one's going 30-0. You're not going to go 25-5. and I mean, it, you just kind of weather the storm. And, and the makeup of your club, being able to deal with the successes like we had this weekend, and be honest with you, be able to deal with the failures. I mean, you're going to have to pick yourself up and move on and learn from your mistakes and not get too far ahead of yourself. But Kentucky, they've got, you know, it's, it's, it's a short porch in right field. They always get four or five left-handed hitters in their lineup, you know, pitching-wise. They always pitch well. Gary does a heck of a job with their pitchers, and they got a kid named Zach Brown, his first second-round type pick on Friday. And then, you know, they got another guy that's like McLean Hudson-Randall-like on Saturday who's arguably their best pitcher. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you got a guy that went in the second round last year. You know, we certainly got our work cut out for us, but that's what this league provides for you. It, it provides challenges each and every week, and we'll be a better club by playing Kentucky this weekend. And, you know, we're in that grind of the season where, you know, we got some really difficult midweek games, and the conference is not going to be easy. So we're looking forward to it. Uh, you guys really only had one away weekend down in Miami, a lot of success down there. What are the differences on the road now? It seems like these guys really like each other. They, they get along, so maybe going on the road won't, won't be a bad thing. Everybody, you know, Shore and Puck have been to Kentucky before. Buddy Reed's been there. You know, we've got some older guys, Alonzo, and we've got some older guys that have been there. And, you know, we had some sophomores that have been battle-tested on the road. Shoot, most of our team has been to Omaha, and we've played some difficult places. So I don't think that should factor into it. I would hope not anyways. It's a game of baseball, and if you're going to get to where you want to get to, you got to take your show on the road, so to speak. And it's not easy, but... I would expect us to be able to handle it fine. Well, Sully, I know it's, uh, it's been a great show, and, and all the people that have been out to McKeith and Stadium has had some really nice crowds this year. I, I know that helps out the guys, too. So any time that they want to come see the, the best team in college baseball right now, you guys are more than willing to, uh, to get them here. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up, Jeff. Our fans have been outstanding, and it does make a difference. And, you know, this is a special team. Now, where we end up, who, who knows? we got a long way to go, but... There's some really, really, really good baseball players and some pitchers and some players that have a chance to play for a long time. So I appreciate our players. I appreciate the talent that they bring to our program. And, it, and it, you know, it is a special group. And like I said, we've, we've got a long way to go, and we don't know where this journey is going to end up taking us. But um, the fan support has been outstanding, and I just, you know, hope our fans understand that these types of teams don't come around very often. And, uh, you know, to enjoy it, and um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I appreciate all the fan support we've had so far. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher to make sure you never miss an episode. And remember that we want to hear from you and find out more about what you want to hear throughout the spring. So we encourage your feedback by tweeting at Gators Podcast or emailing GatorsPodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the nation's capital.